All right, we'll go ahead and be turning to 1 Kings chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 24 this evening, and we're going to be looking at a battle for the kingdom. A battle for the kingdom. Now, King Rehoboam, to remember, was the son of Solomon. So that makes him the grandson of David, right? And therefore, uh, he is actually the rightful heir to Israel's throne. He is in the line of David. He is the next to be the next king. Well, 1 Kings chapter 11 ended by telling us that the kingdom continued with Rehoboam reigning in Solomon's place, right? And then chapter 12, we're going to see, is going to tell us that Rehoboam's first move was to travel to Shechem, it says in verse 1. For all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. Well, Shechem was in the northern territory of Israel. Really, Shechem uh, was going to be where the northern capital of Israel is going to be. Well, we're going to see that very quickly, probably next week. But Rehoboam went there to Shechem, hoping to can keep the power consolidated, to keep the kingdom as one. Really, he thought he was going to go there and celebrate being coronated as the king of the whole kingdom. But we know that God had other plans. And so immediately, he was challenged by Jeroboam. Remember Jeroboam from last week, he was the guy that was over Solomon's workforce in the northern area. And he had uh, encountered Ahijah, right? And according to the prophet Ahijah, Jeroboam was destined to rule these ten tribes of the northern kingdom. And that was the will of God. Uh, God had gave that message through his prophet. And that was God acting in judgment, remember, against Solomon and against the people uh, because of their great sin of falling into idolatry and worshiping all these false gods. And so as this story starts to unfold uh, tonight, we're going to see how God's will was accomplished. And we're going to see how His Word uh, came true. There's no stopping the Word of God. Well, for years, Jeroboam, remember, had stayed in Egypt. He had fled to Egypt. Solomon had tried to kill him. So he's in Egypt waiting on Solomon to die. And now that Rehoboam is taking the throne, it was time for Jeroboam to come back around. And he's going to issue basically a direct challenge to Rehoboam and ruling over a part of this kingdom. In verses 2 through 4, it says, So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard heard it. Uh, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt. <clears throat> that they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke which he has put on us and we will serve you. Now I'm about to have to say Jeroboam and Rehoboam a lot. So if I accidentally say Rocky Balboam, just, <laughs> just overlook it because I might get tongue-tied. So Jeroboam comes to Shechem while Rehoboam thinks he's going to be coronated and he comes with this large assembly, this big delegation with him. And he also comes with his long list of demands. Basically, he wanted better working conditions, he wanted higher pay, he wanted lower taxes, he wanted more vacation time. And just like any good politician, he promised his people he could provide it, right? That's what's going on here. He's trying to cause a conflict. He's trying to provoke conflict between the people and cause them to go against Rehoboam. And so he criticizes the old administration, right? He criticizes his father, Solomon. And besides that, what labor force don't want more money, right? What labor force don't think they're doing too much work for too little pay? So he knows right, uh, exactly what buttons to push. 
Now that being said, there's really no evidence that Solomon had the people under his thumb and was being super harsh to these people. He did have some forced labor, as we've seen before, but uh, that was more than likely slave labor. But as far as the citizens of Israel go, there's really no evidence that Solomon was harsh to them. But whatever the case, whether or not uh, Jeroboam was telling the truth about Solomon being too harsh or not, uh, one thing we know for certain, Jeroboam had no intention of submitting to the rule of God's anointed king. He wasn't going there really trying to make a deal where he could keep serving and those people could keep serving Rehoboam. He went there to cause trouble. So instead of offering full allegiance to Rehoboam as the son of David, right, the one that was in the line to be the actual king, he insisted in setting his own terms for any service that uh, he might have offered to the king. He said, he basically said, if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to do it my way. Well... He wasn't asking. He was demanding. Basically, it was if and only if Rehoboam would lighten the load, right, would lighten the yoke, then and only then would he consider doing any work and getting his people behind him to help him out. So any obedience that was offered here was conditional on the anointed king or the king in the line that was supposed to be there giving Rehoboam what he wanted giving in to his demands. So really, Jeroboam approached Rehoboam the same way a lot of people approach God. The same way a lot of people approach the true king, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? With a list of demands. A lot of people approach the Lord that way. Many times we say we're willing to serve the Lord, but only on the condition that He'll offer us better terms, right? He'll give us something better in exchange. Many times we don't fully surrender to the sovereign will of God, but we insist on uh, dictating the terms, how hard or how easy our service should be. You know, if you'll make it easy on me, Lord, I'll do it. Right? A lot of times we do that. We say, I'll do this for you, but uh, not that. We try to set the terms. Or we might say, I'll do that for you, Lord, as long as you'll do something for me in exchange. Many times we approach the Lord the exact same way. But that's really just another way of saying that we don't want God to be our king. And we want to be the king or queen of our own little kingdom. That's really what that's saying. And so we need to be careful about doing that, saying, yeah, I'll do the Lord's will if I don't have to move or if I don't have to give up my job. Or, I mean, for some people, it's if I don't have to get up an hour early to make it to church, right? We need to be careful about that. Well, the choice that Rehoboam faced was simple. Either maintain the status quo, keep things just like they were under Solomon, or give the northern tribes the change that they wanted, right? Make it a little easier on them. Well, the king wasn't really entirely sure on what he needed to do or what he ought to do, so he asked them for a little bit more time to think about it. So in verse 5, he said to them, Depart for three days, then come back to me, and so the people departed. So he needed a little time to think about it. And to help him think about it, to help him make this decision, Rehoboam really enlists the help of two different sets of advisors here. First, in verses 6 through 7, it says, King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, How do you... Now that word's important. That pronoun's important. How do you advise me... To answer these people. And they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant 
to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. You know, older people, they're not always wiser, but they usually are. They have lived through it. They have the experience. They're not always wiser, but they usually are. And their age commands respect. And it should have commanded the respect of Rehoboam. Solomon said in one of his Proverbs, Proverbs 16:31, that gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. So it is, it's wise for us to listen to our elders. And this was especially true in this case because these elders, these men that Rehoboam consulted first, they had served under Solomon while Solomon was still alive. And remember, Solomon was the wisest of all earthly kings. So they had gained great wisdom. Even though Solomon made some mistakes, they had gained great wisdom from serving under Solomon. And what they told him, they said to Rehoboam, if, basically, if you'll speak kindly to Jeroboam, and if you'll speak kindly to Israel, and if you'll answer them gently and uh, have diplomacy with them, then you'll win them over, and they'll serve you forever. What they were doing here was wisely advising him to be a servant leader. We need more of those. We need more servant leaders. They, there's these servant leader books all over the bookshelves these days. Servant leadership is a biblical principle. You can find that in the Word of God. As the king, Rehoboam, he was to rule the people and defend the people. He was called by God to protect them from danger, to provide for their needs. It was his responsibility to ensure that their citizenship in his kingdom was well cared for, that they had opportunity to thrive in every area of life, business, uh, 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 serving the Lord, uh, their culture, and the family life. That was his responsibility. And that is the role of every single servant leader. We need that in the home today. We need husbands that will be a servant leader in their home, not just in a marriage for what they can get, but what they can give to their spouse and to their kids. We need servant leaders in the church, people who come to church. And I realize I'm speaking to the choir on Wednesday nights, but we need people who will come to this church not just to sit on the pew and get what they can get out of it, but to serve the church. That's what we're called to do. We need people that will do that just in the public sector. Even on our jobs, we should seek to be servant leaders. You don't have to be the boss to be a servant leader. So we need this desperately in the world. And according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, that is the true greatness of the kingdom of God, to be a servant leader. He said, whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant. It's kind of, it's kind of an uh, oxymoron, I guess, if you will. If you want to be lifted up, you've got to humble yourself. If you want to be uh, lifted high, you've got to be a servant. So... For followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the opportunity to lead is always a greater opportunity to serve. We need to keep that in mind. Well, unfortunately, this wasn't the approach Rehoboam decided he wanted to take, and this wasn't the advice he decided he wanted to follow. Verse 8 says he rejected that advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. So this introduces us to the second group of advisors that Rehoboam sought. They were his contemporaries. They were his buddies, right, that he had grown up with. They weren't any more wise than he was. 
They were on the same level. In verses 9 through 11, it says, He said to them, What advice do you give? How should we... You notice that? He's already, he's already allied with these guys. He's, in his mind, this is his posse. This is his group. He said to those elders, he called them you, but he calls these young guys we. He's already included himself with him. He's already chosen sides. How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I'll chastise you with scourges or with scorpions. In other words, he had used worse whips, whips with a nail on the end of it or a sharp piece of glass or something like that. But I want you to notice again the use of the pronoun we in verse 6 but he used the pronoun you as he addressed the elders. So even before he, he makes his decision, we can see that Rehoboam is going to ally with his friends. He's going he's gonna to do whatever his friends tell him to do. And notice also that never once does he turn to the Lord in prayer. Never once does he seek the guidance of the Word of God. And we know there's prophets around, so never once does he seek the guidance of a prophet, a man of God, He's taking bad advice. And there's always a strong temptation to do what our friends tell us to do rather than what God says is right. And there's always a strong temptation to keep seeking advice until somebody tells us what we want to hear. That's what what Rehoboam's doing. And so this temptation is especially strong for young people. Rehoboam's probably around 40 years old. He's not super young, but he's a lot younger than those elders. And this is, this is a strong temptation for young people. Studies tell us that many teenagers are influenced more by their peers than by their parents. And listen, that is dangerous because those teenagers' peers lack the life experience to have gained wisdom. You know, there are some young people that are wise for their age, but they're not near as wise as an older person who has experienced life. So that's very dangerous for those kids to do that. Solomon once said in Proverbs thirteen twenty. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. It's a wise maneuver to seek advice from somebody older who has lived life, and that'll keep you from having to learn the hard way many times. But this danger is not just for teenagers. It's very tempting for all of us to disregard the counsel of older people, people that are older than us. Uh, sometimes we might get in our mind that they're out of touch. We might think that, well, they're just old-fashioned. But listen, these people have lived. There's nothing new under the sun. They've been through it. You know, small things in the culture might change, but these people, they're, they're wise many times. And so as young adults and middle-aged adults, we should listen to older Christian people who have lived a good, solid Christian life. Young parents should listen to other mothers and fathers who have raised their kids and their kids turned out to be servants of the Lord. They should do that. Young pastors should seek the counsel of elders in their church. Young pastors should seek the counsel of elderly pastors that have been there and done that. 
I thank the Lord for Brother Ken. He saved me a lot of heartache over the years. But we need to seek that counsel. And that counsel's there. At every stage of life, the Lord provides someone whom we can seek counsel from. And most of the time, that's somebody that's older than us. So that's a wise thing to do. Well, the advice that Rehoboam received from his friends was exactly the opposite of the advice that he received from those elders. I want you to notice that these guys were arrogant. They urged Rehoboam to make the northern tribes' lives even harder, to, to basically show that uh, Rehoboam could flex his muscle and do whatever he wanted to do. The language that they used was crude, it was rude, and it was abusive. And any time you hear that, especially from somebody who has any place of authority, that is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Amen. These guys, when they talked about Rehoboam's little finger, the actual literal translation of that is little one. That's referring to a totally different appendage on the body. These guys were being crude. They were popping off at the mouth. They were very immature. And that kind of leadership is always disastrous. You go in trying to press people down under your thumb, it turns out in disaster. They were basically telling him to bully these people. They were uh, telling him to boast that, hey, I'm a bigger man than my father ever thought about being, and that if Jeroboam don't submit, then I'll beat him into submission, and all those people with him. That's what they were advising him to do. And so that always ends up in disaster. Usually people that do that are just trying to hide their own insecurities anyway. So anyone that is in a position of leadership, especially spiritual leadership, has the same choice to make. We can either follow the advice of people like Solomon's elders, or we can follow the foolish advice of people like Rehoboam's friends. There's always going to be somebody in our ear. And so we need to be very careful about that. But sadly, instead of following the advice of the elders, Rehoboam repeated the bad advice that his friends gave him. In verses 12 through 14, it says, so, Rehoboam, or, so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. And then the king answered the people <clears throat> uh, roughly, then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I'll chastise you with scourges. Rehoboam sounds about like Pharaoh whenever Moses asked him to let the people of Israel go. He's act, reacting very brutally. Well, his choice was wrong. It caused many problems that lasted for centuries in the nation of Israel. But even so, God still used Rehoboam's bad choice to carry out his purposes for his people. Even though he made a foolish choice, God was still going to carry out his promises. In verse 15, it says, So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was what? Was from the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So God had said that Jeroboam would rule ten of the twelve tribes of Israel, right? That, that was the word of God through his prophet. And now it come to pass 
because of the reckless choice of Rehoboam. See, God is sovereign. And despite the mistakes that we might make, He he can use and He will use those mistakes to carry out His will, to accomplish His purposes. That being said, God is not the one that causes us to make the choices to make those mistakes. See, Rehoboam had the chance to do right, but he made the choice to go the other way. God would have worked out His purpose no matter what choice He had made. But nevertheless, he made a foolish decision, but God's going to use that foolish decision to carry out his will. Well, now Jeroboam has a choice to make. Jeroboam had a choice to make. Uh, would he uh, and the northern, pe- northern tribes, the people of the northern kingdom, serve Israel's rightful king, or would they go their own direction? Well, once they heard what Rehoboam had said to them, their mind was pretty much made up. Verse 16 says, Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, or go home. Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents. Now remember back in chapter 8, when the Israelites celebrated Solomon's temple with a feast, do you remember how they went home? They went home rejoicing in the king, and they went home with words of praise for the king. But here, this time they went home rebelling against the king. This time they went home with words of contempt for the king, and they refused to honor him. The northern tribes were basically stating that they were seceding from the union here. From now on, it would be Israel in the north and Judah in the south. But this really goes deeper than that. Jeroboam and his tribes were also rebelling against God's very plan of salvation. God had promised a Savior King to come from the house and the line of who? David, right? Now from that perspective, I want want you to reread and rehear Jeroboam's words to Rehoboam. They're chilling. They said, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Look now to your own house, David. In other words, we have no use for God's plan. We have no use for God's way of salvation. The way He's going to bring a Savior King through the line of David. We don't have any use for that anymore. And so with those words, Jeroboam and the northern tribes really rejected the house of David and therefore they rejected God's plan for salvation. But there were some people. There was a remnant. Even in the northern kingdom, there were some people in Israel who still worshipped the God of Israel. Still worshipped the one true God. But as a whole, as a nation, they rebelled against God and they rejected God's true king. Well, the words of Jeroboam used in rejecting the son of Solomon... They should remind us of something else. They should remind us of what the people of Israel said when they rejected the Son of God. Remember in John 19, 15, when Pilate asked if they really wanted him to crucify their king, this is what the people said, We have no king but Caesar. In other words, we don't have any portion with this Jesus Christ. They also said in Matthew 27, 25, and this is horrible, they said, His blood be on us and on our 
children. They rejected Him. They rejected God's way of salvation when they rejected Christ. But later on, some of those very people would come to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a remnant. There were some of them that would come back to Christ. But sadly, many of them, the majority of them, did not. And they were lost forever to suffer forever in eternal hell. Well, with Jeroboam's rebellion, now a choice came back to Rehoboam. How's Rehoboam going to respond? You know, that same thing happens to us all the time. The opportunity to choose for or against God, as we have talked about already in previous lessons, doesn't just come once in life. It comes every day. Every day we make a decision whether or not we're going to choose for or against the Lord. Uh, what we think about, what we talk about, what we look at, what we work on, what we uh, do for hobbies, what we spend our money on, you can, the list goes on and on. But these are all decisions that affect us and what we do for the kingdom of God and whether or not we're going to choose for or against His kingdom. Well, in this case, <clears throat> Rehoboam wasn't going to let the northern tribes go without a fight. He wanted to rule the whole kingdom. So as soon as he heard Jeroboam's rebellious reply, he started to take action in verse 18. It says, Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, or Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue. But all Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore King Rehoboam mounted his chariots in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So much for diplomacy, right? He sent the messenger. He sent the wrong messenger, by the way. He sent the guy that was in charge of uh, making payment, basically. He was in charge of the revenue. He was in charge of the wages. And they wanted their wages increased and they wanted their workload decreased. He couldn't have picked a worse guy to send to be his, his emissary. And so they killed the messenger. And that's one of the worst things you could do in that day and time. And so from that point forward, he was going to still, Rehoboam was still going to be king, king of the southern kingdom, but it was going to be a diminished kingdom. In verses 19 through 20 it says, So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Now it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. <clears throat> there was none who followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. So it was just Judah and Benjamin. A Rehoboam, he could see that his kingship was failing and he still wasn't ready to give up. He didn't want to give up without a fight. So in verse 21 it tells us that Rehoboam came to Jerusalem. And he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel, that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So now the stage is set for an all-out civil war. It could have turned into an all-out slaughter. It could have turned into the complete devastation of both kingdoms. And at this very moment is when God stepped in. He intervenes and He shows mercy. Remember, this divided kingdom was an act of God's judgment, but God would not allow His kingdom to be completely destroyed. He still had a plan for His people. And so God summons one of His men 
he summons a guy named Shammai, a man of God, more than likely a prophet of God. And he gave him this word. Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. So, this guy, Shammai, shows up, and he comes speaking with divine authority. He comes speaking the word of God, and he told the southern tribes that they should not go to war against their brethren. He tells them the tragedy of this divided kingdom is the will of God. Well, this didn't just happen, he tells This was the will of God. So instead of going to war, here's what you should do. Turn around and go back home. It's astonishing to me that Rehoboam and his men did it. That Rehoboam and his men did not fight against what this uh, Shammai, the man of God, they did not fight against the message he brought them. It says in verse 24, they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. Folks, that is a mighty testimony to the power of God's word. These men were desperate for revenge. They had a leader who thought he should be the king of the whole kingdom. He was desperate for revenge. He wanted this kingdom united under his leadership, and his, he and his entire army submitted to the will of God. Think about that for a second. This Shammai, this one man, caused 180,000 bloodthirsty warriors, led by a bloodthirsty leader, to change their mind and turn around and go home simply by giving them this very plain command that he had received from God. Folks, the Word of God has power to change even the course of history. It has the power to change the course of a man's life. Given everything that's happened here so far in this chapter, would you expect Rehoboam to listen to this guy? I wouldn't. I would have expected him to have ignored that and gone on and fought this battle anyway. But when the man of God came and told him not to go to war and told him this was the word from God, he listened and he obeyed because God's word has power. And listen, we should. this is how we can apply this to our lives. We think there's people out there who are beyond salvation sometimes. They're so steeped into sin, we wonder, well, what good is it going to do for us to give them the gospel? There's power in that word. There's power in that gospel. We can't do anything. We can't save them. But if we share that with them, that word of God has the power to work on them. And if God, uh, if God sees fit for that person to be part of the kingdom of God, He knows whether or not they will be. If they're going to be, and He knows they'll make a choice for Him, it doesn't matter how steeped in sin they are, the Holy Spirit will draw them in. He'll bring them to salvation. He'll make sure they choose for God. Well, the surprising end to Rehoboam's story here is kind of a reminder that God gives us a chance to make the right choice again. He gave Rehoboam the chance to make the right choice again. He gave him him the opportunity to turn around and go home and not to attack these people. He made the right choice this time. And we still have the the opportunity to make the right choice as well. Uh, the Word of God 
Every time we hear it preached, every time we hear it taught, every time we read it, it gives us the opportunity to turn around and make the right choice. Every single time. gives us the opportunity to obey it. Even after we make foolish mistakes, guess what? We still have the opportunity to find wisdom in the Word of God from wise counsel, just like Jeroboam. So God is still speaking to us. He speaks to us through the Scripture all the time. He calls us to follow Jesus Christ as our true and rightful King. He's inviting us to make the right choice in life. And He's inviting us to make that right choice time and time again, not just one time, to keep on making that right choice. He's calling us to choose for service and not for selfishness, to choose for the true King and not for our own kingdom, not to try to be the kings of our own kingdoms. He's calling us to choose for God's Word and His will and not for our own will in our lives. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus calls His disciples to make a better choice. He calls His disciples to live in a different way. It shall not be so among you, He said in Mark 10, 43-44. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, right? And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And Jesus didn't just say that. Jesus actually did that. He is a completely different kind of king. He is a king, according to Mark 10, 45, who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus kept serving all the way. Jesus could have puffed up his chest and said, you're going to do what I say or I'm going to destroy you and send you into hell if you don't you know, do exactly what I say. He had the power to do that. But that's not what he did. He served and He kept serving all the way to Calvary's cross where He offered His very life for our sins. And now His life and His death are the pattern of our service for God. That's the pattern. That's how we should serve the Lord. And so Jesus calls us to live the way He lived. And He calls us to lead the way He led. The only question is, Will we do that? Will we be a servant leader like the Lord Jesus Christ and not demand our own way all the time? Lead like He did. I hope we'll take, take the opportunity to do that. And I hope if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you'll realize the kind of leader He is. He is God in the flesh. He has all power. He could have done anything He wanted to do. But he humbled himself, came down to this earth, suffered as a servant, suffered as a slave, was homeless, and gave his life so you and I could actually have eternal life. That's the kind of leader Jesus Christ is. You put your faith and trust in him, and you can be that kind of leader too. You can be the kind of person he wants you to be. Well, 